My name is Janice. It's so good to see all of you this morning. And um, wow, to still be in this book of Romans, I am pumped about it. If you are new, we have been in a series that we're going to be finishing up next week. Our pastor will be back to wrap it all up with a bow. And uh, I am just really privileged to be bringing you this particular installment of the book of Romans. We're going to be looking, if you have your devices or your Bible, at chapters 12 and 13. I'll be bouncing around a few other places. You'll see that on the screen. But if you want to camp out in your scripture, kind of get to Romans 12 or 13. Um, I'm, I'm excited about this for a couple of reasons. Not the least of which is that when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I forget the exact age, I just know that I was in the fifth grade. So I think that's close. Um, I was in the fifth grade and um, we had at our church, our little country church, we had a vacation Bible school, which is supposed to be such a great fun, but I was fairly traumatized by this thing. You know, it occurs to me, I tell you a lot of trauma stories, but I was fairly traumatized because I went to vacation Bible school expecting something fun. Um, Turns out it was nothing like vacation because in our particular grade, we were compelled encouraged, forced, if you will, to memorize the entire 12th chapter of Romans. And uh, I was a little salty about it then. Um, it, we had five days to accomplish this task, and, um, and I was not pleased. It felt like there were better things to be doing. But um, can I just tell you, at this juncture of my life, I am so glad I did that because this particular passage has sunk deep into my heart and soul. And it's not an easy passage to memorize because it's really a lot of lists of things rather than perhaps a a cogent argument that is expounded throughout the rest of the book of Romans. But at any rate, uh, just as an aside to you parents who have been asking and wondering, should you make your children do things that they don't want to do or find unpleasant? And can I just say, Yes, it's okay for you to encourage them to do things that they may resist doing. You all know that if you have children given left to their own devices, they would perhaps survive on french fries and live at Disney World. But we all know that every now and then you should feed them something that tastes like grass because it's good for them. I don't know. And it's okay to expose them to the scripture. It's okay to expose them to church and to events with their peers and to youth night and all those things, even if they're like, I don't know if I want to. Yes, go. You will be glad you did in the long run. That has nothing to do with the message. It was just free. But I'm just telling you that Romans 12 is fabulous. And in this particular passage, here's where where we are at in this letter to the Romans. First, Paul has established that the gospel is for everybody, for Jews and Gentiles alike. He has established that we are sinful creatures and that try as we might, we continue to do things that we shouldn't do. He has established that Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and that all we have to do is believe in him and by faith alone we are saved. And now we're at this place where he is suggesting to us, I believe his argument in this particular passage is, now that we have confessed our sin and received Jesus and surrendered our life to him, How now shall we live in the world, in this culture, wherever we find ourselves? And this is his instruction, starting in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, at the beginning of the year, if you have been around here for any time at all, you know that in the beginning of the year, our pastor usually gives us a word kind of to latch onto that we hold onto for the whole year. And uh, this year, the word was stand up. It's kind of two words, but you got a bonus. It was a bonus year, all right? So stand up. I would suggest to you that that's what Paul is talking about, only it's a little more than stand up. It's stand out. How are you going to stand out in your culture? How are you not going to conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Now, the reason this is important is because it kind of goes against the grain in a couple of other places of Paul's writing, well, not the least of which is his writing to the Corinthians. And when he writes to the Corinthians, he says something that seems a little contrary. Listen to this particular statement, and you can just follow along. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in all its blessings. Now, Paul's saying here what sounds like, wow, just go blend in, right? Just go, if, it's, if the Jews are doing it, do what the Jews are doing it. If the Romans are doing it, do what the Romans are doing it. But do you see the difference? He's not conforming to the pattern of the world because he can't stand to stand out. He is identifying with the culture for the distinct purpose of winning some. This is not an issue of isolating yourself from a culture, right? There are many groups who want to do that. We know that there are groups who will go out into the wilderness and set up camp so that they don't have to deal with society. There are groups who will set up a commune in some place where they're going to disengage from society and hopefully get off the grid so that nobody knows where they are and they're going to disengage in all of those ways. That's not what he's talking about. That's isolation. What Paul is talking about is insulation. If you are so transformed in your mind you won't follow the pattern of the world, and now the, in, the direction of influence is what's going to matter. When we were raising our children, I didn't want my children just around little church kids like them. I wanted my children around other children who didn't know Jesus. But one of the things I was always watching for, especially as they got into those really formative years of adolescence and high school, is like, which way is the influence tracking? Are they becoming more influenced by the children that they are with and trying to reach, or are they influencing and reaching those children that they're with? That's something we all have to pay attention to in our own lives. What is the direction of this particular influence? Jesus talks about it this way in John 17 when he is praying for his disciples. This is right before crucifixion. It's a prayer of blessing and, and care over his disciples, and this is what he says to God on their behalf. I have given them your word, and, the, and your, the world has hated them. For they are not of the world, any more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not inviting you, God, to remove them, to take them away and isolate them from the world because that's who they're supposed to reach. What I want to know is, God, will you protect them while they're there? Will you protect them from the evil one while they are there? I find it intriguing that the word used for world over and over again that Jesus was using in the Greek actually means order. It actually means the structure or the pattern of the world. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. He is teaching and preaching Jesus' gospel, right? So he's saying, in this pattern of this world, they're not of that. Protect them from the evil one while they are in that world. Because, folks, it's so easy for us to just attempt to blend in. You know, we all think, though, that we're free thinkers. I, I, I mean, it's kind of an insult to say, oh, you're just like everybody else. Uh, you're just like, even though we see the trends everywhere, right? We all buy clothes from the same store with the same fashion trend. We build houses that look just like every other house that was being built. We follow trends in every way that we're talking about. And even on social media, we're like, oh, we're such free thinkers. But are we really because I don't know, I kind of long for the day when social media was made up of people who originated their own posts. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you didn't comment, you didn't, you didn't post anything unless you thought it up or you said it or whatever. And now, I don't know about you, but my feed is just filled with people just tagging every article they've read that they agree with or every thinker that they've got. And it makes me feel like I'm back at David and Goliath in the Old Testament, where the Philistines and the Israelites are, are two huge armies who could have gone to battle, but instead they're like, oh, let's send our biggest and best warrior out, Goliath, and who's going to fight him? And we send David out. So to, and this was the way, you know, um, it was not uncommon, an uncommon type of warfare in antiquity. So you have these two armies going, no, we're not going to fight. Let's just put our best guys out there and see what happens. I feel like that's what we do on social media. We're like, well, yeah, I agree with that. I couldn't say it that well. I really can't articulate it, but you do it. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, what he said. And the other, other side's going, yeah, well, what he said, because you can't articulate it either. How about, you just, how about we just be quiet until we can articulate what, what we really are saying? If we can't say it, then just sit there and absorb and enjoy. But realize that we, we become influenced by everything that we consume. Everything that we consume. And if you only consume things where every, maybe if nobody's disagreeing on your feed, you really do need to get out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe you have too many friends that are all the same. It's okay to be around people who think a little differently than you. But we need to not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We need to be renewed in our minds. And throughout Romans, I love this, Paul just keeps talking about the renewal of the mind and how important it is, the way that we're thinking. In chapter 2, he kept talking about the futility of our thinking when it comes to sin, and he gave them over to that sort of thinking, to their depravity, because the mind is the engine of what we do. The mind is the engine of our behavior. So if you want to change some behavior, we all know that we need to work on that transformation of the mind. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with what the Spirit, with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Folks, do we need a little life and peace these days? Holy smoke. So how will we stand out in this world and be insulated from it. Paul has a list of things that we can do in chapter 12. And, uh, and as I was reading that and studying that, I kind of boiled it down to what I think are basically three separate arenas for which he gives different instructions. So go with me on this because I believe the first arena, he starts with us. And it's the personal arena. And he's saying within your personal self, this is the way that we're going to renew our mind. And, and part of it is going to be this, pitch in. Pitch in or participate. Participate and collaborate within the body of Christ. But pitch in and do your part. Romans 12, three through eight. For by the grace given me, I say to each one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, those members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Sober judgment of yourself. That's where it starts. Where we sit down and take an assessment of who we are, what God has gifted us to do, and where we contribute to the kingdom. Now, maybe you don't know where you contribute. I've heard people say, I don't know what my gift is. I don't really know. Well, let's start with what your gifts aren't. Okay, because your friends will probably tell you this. If you think that you should be up here singing, your friends can probably tell you whether that's true. Right? Because they're listening to you. And they will let you know. Now, somebody's mama always lies about that a little bit. But, but you know what I'm saying. Most of the time, if you don't know what you're good at, just ask the people around you. They will identify that in you. They will let you know how God has gifted you in one way or another. So you need to do a little self-evaluation. And I don't think that means, you know, spending the little thing and figuring out what Disney princess you are. I don't, I mean, are we so, are we so bad off that we can't figure out who we are and we need weird little quizzes and tips and tricks to kind of tell us what that is? No, we need to take a good hard look at ourselves. And that means not counting ourselves less than we are so that we don't have to do anything. Oh, well, I just don't know what I'm good at. So I'm just going to sit there. Or thinking of yourself more highly than you should and, and Paul is saying, why don't you do some self-evaluation, take a sober look at who you are, and think about it. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, maybe you make a living teaching. It might be good if you teach in the church. Huh, that might be a thought. You're like, I do it all day long. Yeah, but did you do it for this kingdom? Come on. What are you gifted to do, right? If you're an encourager, encourage. If you are a giver, give generously. Uh, if you're showing mercy, show mercy. Folks, this giving thing is, is a real deal. The idea of giving generously, we are known for our willingness to contribute. 
I heard a pastor say one time that, um, you know, we've made all of these reasons why Jesus probably chose Peter as one of his disciples because Peter had this interesting, passionate personality that was first out of the boat and first into the tomb and, and always willing to do whatever Jesus asked him to do. And that's probably why Jesus picked him. And this pastor said, I don't think that has anything to do with why Jesus picked him. I think Jesus picked Peter because Peter had a boat. Everybody needs a friend with a boat. You know what I'm saying? You don't want the boat yourself. You'd like to be friends with somebody who has a boat. And, and, and don't miss this. Jesus asked Peter, can I borrow your boat? I don't know if he like gave him money for fuel or, you know what I mean? I don't know if he rented it in any way. I don't know what he did. But he said, hey, Peter, can I borrow your boat? And the first thing you see Jesus doing with that boat is pushing away from the shore and using it as, as his teaching platform so that he could be a distance from his people. The voice could magnify, be bounced off the water and reach the crowd as opposed to just four or five people deep who were standing around him. There was a method to that madness. And he says, Peter, can I borrow your boat? And Peter says, yeah, and puts him in there. And they put out a little bit from the, the shore. And Peter uses his resources for the kingdom. Do you have a boat? What resources has God entrusted to you? What skills has God entrusted to you that need to be used and contributed to the kingdom? So often when we're talking about giving, people are like, oh, well, that's just about, you know, people fussing about tithing. And then, you know, we give if there's a big project and we've stirred the emotions appropriately. And then we are like, oh, we want to help. And we do. No, giving is always about Jesus. It is always, always, always about Jesus. I've said this before, but, you know, if, if I were to suddenly inherit a, a million dollars, well, let's say, let's say I've inherited $10 million and I tithe to the church. This church would no longer need anybody's money. Would not alleviate any of us of our need to contribute and to be a part. It wouldn't alleviate my need to continue to contribute. It has nothing to do with all of that. It's always about Jesus. But in, in the American church, we just use our money as a way to say, well, I like those leaders over there, so I think I'll give. And the minute they tick me off, I'm going to move my money, right? I really want to support the ski trip that the youth are taking, so I will give my money here. Your, your money and your giving is not an endorsement of what you believe in. It's always about giving to Jesus. And, and Paul is saying, whatever your gift is, contribute. Be a part of this. Because you know what? We do so much more together than we can do alone, especially when everybody knows what they're supposed to do next. Check this out. Isn't that intriguing? I could, just, I could watch that all day. Actually, you can too. Go to YouTube and you can watch it five more times this afternoon. I'm just saying, that is an Amish barn building right there, right? A barn raising that they accomplished in one day, 14 hours time lapse. Um, there's no heavy machinery there. I saw ropes and ladders and a buggy. I don't know about you. There's no crane that was like eliminated from the picture. You also need to know that those Amish men, probably not a single one of them, had as an education over eighth grade. Don't ask me where they learned math and algebra and calculus and whatever else they needed to know to do that. But I'm more intrigued by the fact that everybody knew what they were doing next. Nobody's standing around going, what should we do now? 
I don't know. No, everybody knew their part. And when everybody's working together like that, it is incredible. It is incredible. Folks, we will stand out in our society by how we contribute to the mission and stay committed in the storms of life. We will stand out when we remain committed to the mission, how we contribute to the commission, let me change that, and remain committed in the storms of life. All right, the next one, the next thing that we, the area that I believe um, Paul is talking about is very closely related to this one, and it is community. Within community, one of the ways we stand out is how we treat one another. So can we just say, play nice? That's really, everything he says here can be summed up in one way. Play nice with each other within the church. Listen to how he says it. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Now, now underline that part if you're willing to in your Bible. As far as it depends on you, right? Live at peace with everyone. I think we let ourselves off the hook really, really easily going. As, as, if it's possible, live at peace with everybody. But we know it isn't always possible. That's fine. As long as the not possible part is on the other person's hands. As far as it relies on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Live in harmony with each other. Live in peace with as much as lies within you. He goes on in in this passage, he's talking about practicing hospitality, mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice, blessing, not cursing those people who persecute you, not being conceited, not practicing revenge. Because you know what? There is one certainty in this world and it is this, somebody will wrong you. Somebody will wrong you. And do you know how many people leave a church because they have had a dispute, maybe even a business dispute, a financial dispute, with someone in the church who sits on the other side of the room? And they're like, well, I'm not having that anymore. I can't even sing next to those people. I am out of here. I'm going to another church. Do you know how many people leave a church because they've had a sharp word with a leader or a a staff member in a church? The Apostle Paul had sharp words and disputes with people. It did not keep him from the mission. It did not keep him from accomplishing things and reconciling those things together. Folks, people are watching us. We do such a disservice to the people we are attempting to reach for Jesus. People who are skeptical of of this faith that we have. They're skeptical and we make it worse when we can't get along with each other. When we're fussing about stuff and, and just not getting along well. Folks, do you know that the disciples disagreed? They argued on their way, but nobody quit the team. Nobody quit the team among the disciples. And yet we continue to do it. But Paul knew what we all know. We will stand out by how we treat one another in the church and in the community. And when we give up on one another, for people who don't follow Jesus, we give them one more excuse to give up on God. We give them one more excuse to give up on God because we give up on each other. That is why church splits and and church conflicts hurt the ministry so deeply, so very, very deeply. 
because people are watching and they're looking for one more excuse to say, you're not really transformed. You're not really transformed by the renewing of your mind. Look at those people. That's why lawsuits are such a big deal within the church. That's why scripture tells us to be careful and not be dragging each other into court because people are watching that mess. Settle it, mediate things, get things settled within community. And the third area that I think Paul really plays in here on how we can stand out in our communities, and folks, this is a big one, is how we treat authority. How we treat our authorities. And Paul invites us to do this simply, pay respect. It can all be summed up in this, pay respect. Listen to this scripture, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I'm going to read that again. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, hear me. I am not defending a current administration. This applies to the administration we had previously. It applies to the administration we have now. And it applies to the administration with every candidate in play that we may have come November. Have you missed that we're in an election year? This is a big scripture. This is a really big scripture. Consequently, verse 2, if anyone, whoever, rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Therefore, verse 5, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. It's almost April. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now we read stuff like that and we're like, well, listen, you know, this is probably the time where we need to contextualize the scripture because, you know, given the culture of the day, maybe it meant something for Paul and those people that doesn't really apply to where we are today. And and we find all kinds of ways to discount scripture that makes us uncomfortable because they, you know, Paul has clearly not lived under the administration that we're living under. He certainly has not been listening to the debates that have been going on lately. He doesn't know what we're up against. He doesn't know any of this stuff. Well, then let's just think a little bit about what Paul was talking about and what was his current culture when he was writing this. Rome in Paul's day. Rome in Paul's day. Rome is a city about the size of Washington, D.C., oddly enough. And really similar in a lot of ways. It was a political center for the world at that time. It was a commercial center. Paul is writing this in 59 AD, the letter to the Romans. He doesn't actually get there until about 61. That's where he will spend the rest of his life. And the scholars believe he was executed there or martyred there, although we don't have uh, good enough records to be definitive of how that happened. The splendor of Rome is just beginning. If you've ever had the privilege to be there and to see some of the wonderful artifacts 
that are there. I hope to go someday before I die. I don't know if I will, but I would love to see that. The Colosseum had not been built yet, but believe me, the games had been built. The games were happening. We just didn't have the Colosseum yet, okay? So a lot of the artifacts that you would witness today were not there in Paul's day, but much of the culture still surrounded those kind of events, okay? Nonetheless, it was a premier city of the world, ranking perhaps three among all of the premier cities of that day. The first would be Alexandria, more of a commercial center, uh, the big center of the world based on where it was located and its availability to water and trade. And second would be Athens in terms of its beauty and influence because the Greeks just like to sit around and think great thoughts and make beautiful things. And then third would have been Rome. Rome comes in third in, in that regard by at least one scholar that I'm studying. All right. There is in Rome, not unlike today, a wild disparity between the poor and the wealthy. Wild disparity between the poor and the wealthy. The extreme wealth was held, as you might expect, by the nobility of the town, but oddly enough, also by outsiders. Outsiders who had come in, uh, newcomers of every nationality, also held extreme wealth, okay? Tradesmen and artisans, many foreign, are uh, constituted the middle class. So let's just think immigrants. Tons and tons of immigrants. This is a melting pot, if you will. So people are coming in and they are uh, handling the middle class. They are tradesmen and artisans making a fine wage at this stuff. Freedmen and slaves actually did most of the more menial work, if you can call it that. Teachers, physicians, copyists. We didn't have the ability to go, you know, Amazon.com print on demand. People had to transcribe. They had to copy every letter if you wanted a book. And so that was a trade of the day, a copyist. The poorest citizens lived, not unlike today, on a government dole. They lived on a daily allowance of grain from the government. And, and existed and what didn't, didn't seem to be anything unexpected. They're like, yeah, we live off of that. And, but yay, we at least get free admission to the games. Because the emperor was so happy to let everybody go for free. So they could go to the games, they could go to the bathhouses. That's the poorest citizens in uh, society. Women in Rome, in Paul's day, in Rome, were held in high esteem. They had greater freedom in Rome than they had in Asia or in Greece. Divorce was not uncommon. Education was available, not perhaps for everybody, but education was available in literature, oratory, and philosophy. By geography, this particular town is a well-developed commercial system, banking, communication, trade, all marked by an extraordinary interest in leisure and recreation. Does that sound like anything you know? Unbelievable interest in that. Okay, so we've got all kinds of amusement, chariot races in the circus. Even the emperor will get involved in that. Gladiator shows, uh, the public baths, porticos that served as, as like vacation resorts, if you will, uh, clubhouses, a lovely you know, temperate climate, and people are just having a wonderful time. Intellectual thought and political philosophy are a big, big deal. There are people who sit around. Now, they didn't have social media to tap out all their thoughts, but they're certainly talking about them, and they've got lots of room for debate and discussion, and all of that stuff is going on, all right? They were polytheistic in their worship. They were extremely tolerant. Any religion who walked in, came in the door, they don't mind. Immigrants, bring your religion. The only thing that was offensive was when and the Jews and the Christians showed up and they were fiercely monotheistic. Now we're tolerant of everything except you saying that you have the only way. 
Sound familiar? Right? So we have these things going on, all right? And uh, eventually, Christians will become numerous enough to gain the emperor's attention and eventually his persecution. Now get this. The emperor, during Paul's writing of the letter to the Romans, is none other than Nero. Nero, I don't know if you're familiar with your history from antiquity, but Nero was a perverse and brutal, brutal man. He did not live that long, actually. He came to power in his late teens, but in a short period of time, he eliminates his mother. He eliminates, and, and that means like either has her killed or kills her himself. He eliminates his mother. He eliminates his brother. He eliminates a stepbrother. He gets rid of anybody who is a threat to him in his society. He fancies himself as an athlete. He participates in the chariot races because he wants to be, you know, famous or, you know, in NASCAR. I don't know. I mean, that's what it's really likened to is what he's doing. They worked in teams very much like NASCAR. All right. This guy is, is so crazy. He really can't stand Christians. And he begins to persecute Christians. He would capture them. And I'm sorry this isn't PG-13. But he would like wrap them in animal clothes, in animal skins. And then send them down to the gladiators and let the lions come out and eat them. Okay, that was a sport. They would like bet on who would, who would die first and all of that sort of thing, right? While they're hawking hot dogs and sausages up in the, in the stands. I mean, this is really happening. To make things even worse, we do know, this is documented by many, that Nero also captured Christians and then took their corpses and lit them on poles to light his garden at night. You think you live in under a difficult administration and in a weird time? I'm telling you, Paul is writing this. Shall we just read it again? There is no authority except what God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. It is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. How do we live in a society with leaders that we either don't respect or we dislike? We need to figure this thing out because Paul's giving us some really hard stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul and the early disciples are not exactly model citizens. They end up in prison, right? Some of them die in prison. But guess what they didn't go to prison for? They did not go to prison for tax evasion, they did not go to prison because they were too critical of the ruling power. You know why they went to prison? They stood out and earned the hatred and the respect of their neighbors by their virtuous behavior and by what they were unwilling to do. They were unwilling to stop sharing the gospel. That's what they were killed for. That's where you can have civil disobedience. That's where you can disagree with an authority is when you're willing to die for the opportunity to share your faith with someone. Let's quit whining about the fact that they don't permit us and say, we will do it anyway. Because God has invited us to live and respect the authorities that we have no matter what is going on. We just don't defy God in the same process. Folks, the way we behave, we will stand out in our society by the way we engage the political world. They're already watching us. And we have an extremely divisive election coming up. You all know that. And people are watching us bicker and bite and fuss at each other. And we may think that our, our political rants are actually sharing our faith. But are they really? Because both sides can claim Jesus. 
Both sides can claim that Jesus would approve of the, of the platform that I am supporting. Somebody said it, it's not me, but somebody said, Jesus is not coming back on a donkey. He is not coming back on an elephant. He is coming back on a horse. And we need to be able to know the difference. I love the fact that Vineyard has people who vote in various ways because we're not here to tell you how to vote. But I am here to tell you that people are watching how we behave. And whatever we say and whatever we type on our little keyboards, I think we have to run it through this filter. Does it honor? Does it respect? Have I paid my taxes? Have I given revenue where I'm supposed to give revenue? We have to be willing to consider that. Folks, Jesus didn't vote, but I bet if he had the opportunity, he would have. He had every opportunity to overthrow that government. People expected him to do it, and he did not. That is not what he was here to do. He was not here to create a political system that made it easy for him to share the gospel. We may find ourselves in a situation where it's not easy to share the gospel. We're going to do it anyway. We're going to do it anyway. We don't have to lose our minds over this stuff. We must renew our minds, not lose our minds. We are on a mission to not conform to the patterns of our world, but to renew our minds under whatever regime we find ourselves. We didn't pick our family. We didn't pick this country. But we're going to live in it, and we're going to represent Jesus while we're here. Let's come to our feet. I know that was heavy. I'm sorry to end on the heavy stuff. That's, I'm just chronological, and that's where it landed. I know that some of us are disturbed. Folks, we have a lot of disturbing things going on, right? We have an election where people are yelling at each other all the time, and maybe you're doing that in your own families and your own friends. We have a virus sweeping the, the, the world that feels scary. We don't know much about it, but it's frightening. There are lots of things to be afraid of. But Jesus calls us to live in peace. Calls us to live in peace. And he wants to give you that peace this morning. So if you're looking for peace in the political realm that's going on, in your concerns about your family and health, maybe just in, in your own life and decisions that you're making, and you just want some peace this morning, can I invite you to come up here and have someone pray for you? Don't leave this building in the same turmoil or more turmoil than you came in here with. Let's leave some of that here this morning. And let's filter the way we engage our society through honor, through respect for ourselves, for our community, and for the authorities that we live under.